Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome once again to our podcast series for St. Patrick Catholic Community on the Beatitudes. I'm John Konachek, the Director of Adult Formation and Parish Spirituality. Today's conversation will cover the second of the eight Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. I wonder what it must have been like for those gathered on that hillside, listening to Jesus speak these words. We have to imagine that all those named by Jesus in the Beatitudes were in some way represented in that crowd and hoping for God to bring a change or at least a little relief from their suffering. Those in the crowd who were mourning would have undoubtedly included widows, and the mourning they might be experiencing would far extend beyond the emotional loss of a spouse. For an ancient Palestine, the death of a husband would also mean the loss of income and loss of status in the community. The words of hope that they heard from Jesus declared reversal from their predicament and proclaimed a future that held promise for being restored to safety. While we can believe that most of the people on that hillside were in a marginalized situation and looking for consolation, I have to accept as well that at least a few of them were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and what his words meant for how to faithfully live their lives. For the second beatitude, blessed are they who mourn, that is what I have tried to understand throughout my life. That's why I would be on the hillside. What is Jesus saying to me? How do I make sense of this beatitude and what does it mean for my discipleship? Sometimes we look to the sacred scriptures to better understand faithful discipleship. At other times we look to faithful discipleship to better understand sacred scripture. When I was in my late 20s, I was teaching at a large Catholic high school. Inevitably, the school community over time faced tragedy and sadness with the loss of family members and even students. As a community, we mourned the loss of loved ones. So many times I very much wanted to offer comfort but I often hesitated because I didn't know what to say. Avoidance of uncomfortable situations is not an effective ministry strategy, so I searched for the best program I could find for an internship in hospital chaplaincy and was accepted to Stanford University Medical Center in Palo Alto, California. While things seemed to be going well, it was not quite what I had imagined. Rather than being at Stanford Hospital or Stanford Children's, I was assigned to the neighboring VA hospital. 
Most of the patients were there for surgery or illness, but rarely for anything that was life-threatening. I certainly didn't feel like I was encountering the ones who mourned. And I especially didn't find patients who were mourning in one of my main responsibilities of the Alzheimer's unit. Every day I met with my supervisor, Wilma, and one of those days I mentioned to her that while I enjoyed speaking to the men in memory care, I was having a hard time finding people with a sense of loss there where I could be challenged to develop better ways of ministering. She paused for a moment and then asked me to meet her that afternoon at 2 o'clock in the unit. I thought that what she was planning was to give me some tips about ministering with some of the men in the unit, but to my surprise, she turned me around, and together we walked out the door. I followed her to a grassy area next to the building where there was a covered area with picnic tables. At the tables were about 12 older women talking with each other. Wilma told me that these were the people with whom I should be ministering. I gave her a puzzled look since these were obviously not veterans. Wilma anticipated my confusion but simply said, these are the wives of the guys in the unit. Go listen to them. When I heard these women's stories, I discovered gospel mourning. Many of them described losing their husbands to this terrible disease. Most of them had spent their retirement savings trying to care for their husbands at home for as long as they could. More than one of the women now drove great distances to sit a few hours with a husband who no longer even remotely recognized her as his wife. I was grateful for their willingness to share their mourning with me and was moved by the way they gifted each other in compassion. Blessed are those women for inviting me to learn from them about God's embracing comfort. I don't know if any of these women was Catholic or Christian, but the message of the second beatitude was clearly revealed in them. The second beatitude should be at least as clear in those of us who identify ourselves as Christian disciples in mission. Our fidelity to living this beatitude as Catholics is laid out clearly for us in the guidelines for funerals. It states that the responsibility for the ministry of consolation rests with the believing community, that we are all responsible for one another. We take to heart the words and example of Jesus when he instructs us, blessed are they who mourn, they shall be comforted. It's easy to consider the role of comforting and consoling as being the responsibility of family and friends. However, the rite of funerals goes on to say that the primary minister is the faith community, and our principal involvement as a community is expressed in the active participation in all aspects of the celebration of the funeral liturgy itself. At St. Patrick, we are known for our hospitality, and our funeral hospitality fills a very special role. We have Linda Schwabe here today, who is with our funeral ministry here at St. Patrick's. And Linda, you could be at home doing happy, joyful things, and yet you choose to be here to minister to people who are grieving. So tell us a little bit about funeral ministry 
and why you choose to do this. Our ministry provides hospitality and a welcoming environment to support those who are grieving on the day of the funeral. We will arrange flowers, we arrange pictures, we make sure that there's Kleenex and all kinds of things available to the family that day so that their experience can be one of working with families and friends and talking with them and not worrying about the stress of the day. A few years ago, we decided to craft a mission statement about the funeral ministry. And I thought maybe it might be beneficial to, to read this today to the community. Sure. The funeral ministry says that our highest priority is to honor God in all that we do as a ministry and as individuals. The funeral host ministry is dedicated to assist in the recognition of the celebration of life with a caring, loving, and respectful spirit. We strive to ease the burden of grief by providing a welcoming attitude and assistance to the family and the celebrant as they experience the funeral mass of a loved one. And so tell me a little bit, if you can give me an example or a story of how you encountered someone or a family at a funeral who was suffering in their grief and by what you did, it helped to comfort them and what that looked like. There are no two funerals that are the same. Families grieve and experience loss in many different forms. It depends on the situation perhaps of the death, the age of the person, the family dynamics. They take on various emotional forms. Some are joyous, some are emotional, some bitter, and some people even say they feel numb. But the beauty of God's plan and his word oftentimes changes the situation and many will share as they depart with us that the funeral was so meaningful to them that they are returning to the church or that they're actually dedicating their life to being closer to Christ. They were moved by the celebrant's words and also by the welcoming and comforting spirit that was given during the mass that day. Hmm. That's fantastic. Linda, how do you think that the ministry, the funeral ministry, has helped to transform St. Patrick's community to help shape it into being Christian disciples in mission? The funeral ministry uh, experiences loss in many different ways. It also depends on the situation of the death the age, the family dynamics, and the spirituality of the family. They take on various emotional forms. Some are joyous, some are emotional, bitter. Some people say they're numb. But the beauty of God's plan and his word oftentimes changes the situation, and many share that they will be coming back to the church because of what they heard, or as they're walking out, they will say they're rededicating their lives to Christ. When we hear things like that, we know that we are definitely experiencing Christian disciples in mission. Another thing I'd like to share with you is just sometimes during a funeral, the family feels so much love during their grief 
An example would be that one time we had a funeral where we asked a gentleman if, if he wanted to speak about his loved one during the eulogies. And he said, no, I'm just, I'm grieving too much. I just couldn't do it. But then, at the time we were going to start the eulogies, he stood up and, and he said, I've changed my mind. I feel so much love here and so much comfort that I do want to talk about her. And he got up and gave the most beautiful eulogy, which leads to the fact that we have funeral hosts serving on the funeral ministry today that have come to join the funeral ministry because they said that they experienced that themselves when one of their loved ones passed away. They said that they wanted to extend that beautiful, comforting, loving experience that they felt at St. Patrick's during that funeral to share it with others. Linda, thank you so much for your ministry, for standing with those who mourn and bringing them comfort. Truly, you and the people in your ministry are a clear sign of God's goodness and love. Thank you. The object of mourning in the Beatitudes is not so much one's own suffering, but identifying with the other. It is an openness to identifying with another's mourning and suffering. A Christian disciple who accompanies another who is mourning is literally called to walk alongside. To walk alongside is to expose ourselves to the suffering of another and take on some of that suffering. We recently celebrated the canonization of Archbishop Oscar Romero, martyr and saint, who was touched deeply by the pain and suffering of thousands who mourned husbands and wives, sons and daughters, who were murdered by the death squads of the Salvadoran government in the 1970s and 80s. Many faithful disciples ministered to the poor of El Salvador, including a group of four American women who responded to the suffering of the same poor so loved by Oscar Romero. These women's fidelity to living out their Christian discipleship reveals another layer of the meaning of the second beatitude. Edith Ford from Brooklyn and Maura Clark from the Bronx were both Marinal sisters. Dorothy Kazel was an Ursuline nun from Cleveland. Jean Donovan was a laywoman who volunteered to go to El Salvador through a church assistance program. The ministry was very simple at first, working in the midst of the poor who suffered great hardship. Before long, however, they found themselves in a war zone with the same poor as the target of government death squads. Many days they walked with families to identify murdered bodies left on the roadside. Ita wrote to her sister that they looked death in the face every day. The church women were living in true solidarity with the people, doing all they could to help protect and serve those who were in need speaking out for the families of the murdered or disappeared. Sister Mora wrote to her religious community about why she remained there. The church's role is to accompany those who suffer most and to witness our hope in the resurrection. Their love and care for the poor brought them great consolation 
but they also knew that it would have dangerous consequences. On December 2, 1980, the four of them were leaving the airport when the Salvadoran military pulled over the van they were driving. The women were taken to an isolated area, assaulted, murdered, and left in shallow graves. These four church women, like those who serve in funeral ministry here at St. Patrick, are so very much like those who gathered on the hillside to listen to Jesus speak the Beatitudes. But rather than just wanting to merely hear the message, they also place themselves in the midst of persons who are suffering and then work as God's agents to comfort and heal. But before any of them could act, they first required the ability to recognize the reality of the suffering of another. Once aware, they chose to move to the place of Christian humility, of surrendering, to place another person's needs and well-being before one's own. Gerald Van, a British theologian and philosopher, describes the practice of discipleship for the second beatitude. The first step is to develop a sense of willingness in taking another person's troubles to ourselves and in doing so, truly sharing ourselves. The second step in this process is to let go of our own desires and what we want for ourselves, even to the point of discomfort. And we do this for the sake of bringing God's love and comfort to someone else who is suffering loss. The third step is the action of readiness to authentically accompany, to walk with, the ones who are suffering. This action becomes a sign that we are not willing to abandon anyone who is in mourning. As a Christian disciple in mission, I want to gather on that hillside to listen to Jesus. He looks directly at me and says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I then look around me to see the suffering and loss, the sadness and despair. Jesus calls me to Christian humility to mourn alongside and bring Christ's comfort and hope. Megan Popa, coordinator of baptism, ministry of care and hospitality, will lead us in our reflection and prayer for our second beatitude. It can be hard to pray in the midst of mourning and grief. How can we be blessed when our hearts are breaking and when sorrow and loss overwhelm us? When approaching prayer and mourning, remember three things. First, we need to mourn. Pope Francis said that there are certain realities in life that we see only through eyes that have been cleansed by tears. Tears are therapeutic and healing, emotionally and physically. Crying helps the body shed stress and stimulates endorphins. Tears have lessons to teach us. In a culture obsessed with entertainment and distraction, taking time to mourn can seem meaningless, but we must allow ourselves to be present to our grief and mourning and let God cleanse us through it. Second, it is in our mourning that we find our hope. Sorrow is woven into the very rhythm of life. Life is a pattern an inescapable mingling of sorrow and joy. Mourning is about vulnerability and emptiness, and if we can remain open in spite of the emptiness, 
we find that God does indeed reach back and comfort us. It's this relentless hope we find here that helps us believe that no situation falls outside of God's capacity for transformation. And finally, our personal mourning bonds us to the suffering of the rest of humanity. While we recognize that all grief is unique, we also recognize that tears from God are always tears for everyone. Our pain can be unbearable when it isolates us, but when we join our sadness, our loss, and our rage with that of others around the world, we can stand in solidarity with all who mourn. And it is from this stance that we not only find comfort knowing others share in our pain, but we are finally ready to help others carry their burdens and stand in solidarity with them in their mourning. There's a deep interconnectedness of all things, and our prayers should increase our capacity to look beyond ourselves and extend our compassion to the suffering of those we have not and will never meet. So when we pray in times of mourning, let us be present to our pain while it teaches us what it needs to. Let us look for the hope and healing God is offering us in it. And finally, let us stand in solidarity with all those who suffer in our community and around the world. As we close in prayer, listen carefully to the scripture and then to the words we offer to God. In the periods of silence, take time in your own heart to reflect on how this beatitude is at work in your life. We begin with Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you utterly forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I carry in my soul grief in my heart day after day? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look upon me, answer me, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep in death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed. Lest my foes rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your mercy. Grant my heart joy in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has dealt bountifully with me. Lord, you said to us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We offer up to you anything in our lives that is causing pain, sadness, or sorrow. Help us to bear this pain, to carry this pain, and let it empty us, cleanse us, and open us. said to us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray that in our mourning we will find your presence and your hope. We pray that you touch us with your divine compassion and allow us to enter even more deeply into your kingdom. Lord, you said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray that we may have the strength to look beyond our own suffering and join you in loving solidarity with all suffering in the world. Give us the strength to help others carry their burdens and help us share your love and comfort with the world at large. Lord, continue to help us find you in our mourning. 
Remind us that we don't need answers, but we do need you and we do need each other. We thank you for your blessing of comfort as we carry our pain and the pain of the world. In your name we pray, amen.